Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. My name is Phil. Joining me as usual, I've got Rohan. How's it going? Hey, good thanks. And joining us today, we've got Kia. How's it going? Good. Good to see you guys. This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Nabucasa. Easily access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that supports the Home Assistant and ESP Home projects. Configuration is done by the user interface, so there's no fiddling with router settings, SSL certificates, or any YAML. All right. So, whereabouts are you joining us from today? I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And Rohan, you sound a bit different today. Obviously, you're not uh, in Toronto today. That's right. I am not. I'm in uh, Killarney, Ontario, I think I want to say. It's uh, it's a beautiful little cottage town, uh, just like four and a half, five hours north of me. So Very cool. All right. Yeah. Well, um, so, Kid, let's um, break it down. Let's find out a bit about yourself and, and how you've got into home assistance. So, whereabouts did your home automation journey kick off from? Sure. So, uh, a couple of years ago, my wife and I were renting a place, renting a house, and we have two cats. We want to be able to make sure, like, everything was okay at the house, mostly just right. that, since, it, since we're in Minnesota, like, the heat doesn't go out in the winter, make sure that that doesn't happen, and if it does, we'd find out about it. So, we, uh, we got a... <laughs> We started by having a, a Nest, Google Nest camera pointed at a thermometer inside the house. <laughs> so a little bit janky. Um, then we upgraded to a Nest thermostat at, uh, at that house. And that was sort of where I first started getting into some of the, the smart home tech stuff. Um, it was just through the, the Nest. At that time, it wasn't Google's Nest. It was just Nest. Um, and then in 2018, we moved into our own house. And the Nest thermostat wasn't compatible with the furnace that we got. So we're looking to sort of replicate that same sort of functionality. And with the furnace that we have and the, the thermostat control system, there's actually a third-party open source project called Infinitive, where somebody has sort of reverse engineered the communication between the thermostat and the furnace. And so you can connect a Raspberry Pi to a USB to serial converter, and you can communicate to the furnace with the same sort of commands that thermostat did. And that was certainly an ambitious project for me at the time, but I set mm-hmm. up a, a Raspberry Pi 3, and uh, there's also a Home Assistant custom component for it, of course. So knowing that that was out there was sort of my impetus for really trying to get Home Assistant working so that we had that same Nest functionality with our furnace, because obviously we weren't about to replace the furnace just to have remote access. That's actually really cool. Yeah, yeah, I just super stoked when that all came together um you can the infinitive project is very cool it's there are options for the older style thermostat where it communicates uh directly and there's also some options where it, it uh or there's, a, there's another fork of the project where right. somebody has sort of reverse, reverse engineered the communication for the wireless thermostat we just have the wired one but it's pretty easy to do we actually had some wires exposed out of the furnace so i didn't even have to open it up there were just some thermostat wires sort of capped off already and I was able to tie into those connect it all up and then yeah. it's pretty cool when I could see all the all the information on a just a, a local web page one the open source community is just amazing right like that's very cool like that you're just able to download some something to a raspberry pi you know plug in some wires and away you go and yep. there's people just maintaining for all these different like furnaces and stuff it's also interesting that you said that it wasn't compatible with the nest because i know i recently um, replaced my thermostat and it seemed as though there was like a whole bunch of just standard wires that most you know thermostats use you know like you've got your cy you've got you know h1 c1 all that yep. um and nest you know support it will tell you what when you, depending on what cords you plug into it or cables you plug into it, um, it will, you know, dictate, you know, what features you can control through your nest. So yeah, it was, must be a pretty, is it a little bit an old style system that just wasn't using those common sort of wires that was your issue? Well, what I was just told by our, uh, our furnace tech, uh, HVAC company mm. was that the next, the nest could technically communicate with it. Like it would work, but you would lose some of the efficiencies of a modulating furnace where the thermostat tells it to sort of slowly ramp up or, you know, run at a lower speed. And the, the next thermostat was sort of just like, you know, high speed, low speed, nothing in between. Yep. Right. On or off, essentially. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we didn't want to sacrifice the efficiencies of the furnace. Yeah. Um, so that's why we looked into Infinitive and that worked out. But yeah, around that same time, I hadn't, before I'd gotten into Home Assistant much, it was uh, sort of a mishmash of different smart home systems. Like this was before 
this is around the, the works with Nest era for Google as opposed to the whatever their current platform is. Yeah, um, like it works yeah. with Google system or works with Nest yep. by Google or something like yep. that. Yeah. So I had some Wemo smart plugs. Um, so I'd be able to turn the lights on and off yep. and then the Nest cameras. Uh, but that was about it. And obviously those systems didn't talk to each other at all. Um, but once I had more reason to have Home Assistant instance set up for this infinitive platform then i started looking into other things that were compatible with home assistant and from there you're just down the rabbit hole <laughs> yeah now, now does this uh does your furnace raspberry pi i'm assuming that's a that's an independent raspberry pi from whatever your home system is running on and all the other stuff it's just a dedicated yep. box that's just furnace box yep. yeah 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 right now the raspberry pi or the the furnace raspberry pi is a the 3b and i initially started using home assistant on that with an sd card and i suffered from the sd card failures that were also common yeah so then once i then i got a raspberry pi 4 for the home assistant which actually works you know, as, as well as i needed to and then i just repurposed the, the pi 3 box for the infinitive system that's cool so i guess so you've got your furnace so then that prompted you to do home assistant had you used any other home automation software before then yeah i briefly looked into OpenHab, but i couldn't really wrap my right my mind around some of the terminology like the bindings i think and just how some of that stuff was put together right. um so i i tried to try to try that out but i didn't get very far at all uh, and then home assistant at the time just seemed like it was a little bit more accessible like i fairly tech savvy and certainly getting more so with home assistant, but I just couldn't manage to make open hab work. So, uh, yeah, got, got into home assistants. I don't know, probably around the point seven X releases somewhere around there, probably late 2018, which is, we moved into our house about four years ago. And the home assistant has been running pretty smoothly since I, I migrated to the Raspberry Pi 4 with the SSD instead of the SD card that made a huge difference mm-hmm. and have since just sort of been adding things slowly. Um, our house was built in 1973, so most of our light switches don't have neutral wires. That really limits what we can do as far as smart lighting. Um, so we have a couple, we have a bunch of Lutron Cassetta wireless stuff because those, the dimmers anyways, yeah. don't require neutral switches. And those are also really avail- readily available at like Home Depot and Lowe's. Mm-hmm. So that works out well. We do have some Z-Ware switches. We had some ceiling fans installed and the electrician was here. So we might we just had them add the neutral wire for those. And then a bunch of Wi-Fi devices. I have a lot of ESP home stuff, uh, mostly temperature, humidity sensors, but also tied into a couple other things we can talk about. And then uh, uh, some Zigbee, Akara, door and window sensors. So a couple of different protocols. Yeah, a bit of a mishmash. Yeah. yeah. I was using the WiseSense, um, those, that first, the V1 sensors. Uh, door window sensors yep. that were pretty inexpensive and nice to use, but then ended up losing the Mac address if you didn't replace the battery while it was still <laughs> high enough. <laughs> just a slight bug. But yeah, just a slight. But I, I have been slowly replacing those with the Akara door window sensors just because my theory or my rationale was that if they die and they can't be relied upon, then it sort of negates the utility. Yeah, agreed. Well, especially, especially as it relates to like home security, right? Sorry, Phil. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the last thing you want is, you know, like a front a door sensor or a window sensor just stop working, you know, halfway through the day. And then... Yeah, yeah, having to be unreliable. So I've been digging into Zigbee a little bit more lately with that, with those and learning about uh, getting a, a good mesh in place with learning about the, the Zigbee signal values and learning what those mean, how to make sure that you're going to get reliable responses from all that. Yeah, that, uh, I mean, good for you for, for jumping into that. I mean, I know like like radio frequencies are just a whole other planet, right? Like you're just learning about it and getting into that and stuff like that. And yeah, so that's awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I was a little concerned when I started sort of digging more into Zigbee. I know some people say that there can be Wi-Fi interference. Fortunately, haven't run into any of that yet. We have a bunch of the um, Nest Wi-Fi pucks around. Yeah. So I don't have a whole lot of configurability on the, the Wi-Fi system. So I was sort of just crossing my fingers and hoping that the Zigbee didn't screw anything up. And so far, so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you are you doing any any Bluetooth stuff as well? Uh, yeah, we have. So when we moved into our house, I was one of the things I wanted to check for was radon. I mean, it's not a, a really old house built in the 70s. I just wanted to sort of, you know, cross that off the list in terms of homeowner things. Um, right. So I bought an air... AirThings device, which does radon, temperature, humidity, CO2, VOC. And I found a another custom component that where the Raspberry Pi communicates directly with the AirThings device over Bluetooth low energy. Nice. So that 
has been working pretty flawlessly. There's now a AirThings cloud component natively in Home Assistant. So you can, if you have an AirThings account online, you can go ahead and pull it in that way. But I try to keep everything local if I can. I mean, it's not, you know, mission critical information, but still would prefer to have it direct if I can. Sure, sure. Is right on a big thing in Canada? Like I don't think I've ever heard of it. The closest thing I've heard of is like asbestos in it old houses, but I haven't had a radon before. I think it's, I don't know what your experience Rohan has been, but I think it's more common in colder climates where you have longer heating seasons, where doors and windows are closed mm-hmm. or, you know, there's not as much airflow in the house. That's certainly when our levels seem to go up. Right. Yeah. Time. It's not, I mean, I don't think there's any like mandate here for like radon sensing or anything like that, but uh, like we have obviously CO2 and carbon monoxide um, that that's required, like, believe yeah, even your insurance companies like if they find out you don't have a smoke detector or whatever they'll yeah has catches on fire they're gonna be like well too bad right like it's you know better but i don't think that's the case on uh for radon but yeah it's 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 weird it's one of those things that's not talked about too often even here right like even though you know here to your point it's like it, it, it's a thing it exists right you probably should it's very unlikely that you would have that issue but it's just mm-hmm. right but you might yeah yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, so the, uh, the Raspberry Pi communicates directly with Bluetooth with that. Um, uh, one of the more recent ESP home releases actually also has an AirThings component where if you have a ESP32, it can talk directly to AirThings device. I've been using that too just because the, I, I don't know, I tried to limit how many custom components I rely on just because they seem, for the most part, not quite as well supported yeah. as you know, Home Assistant native things or, or ESP Home, now that that's part of Home Assistant. So at some point... Well, and I noticed I saw on Twitter that uh, Home Assistant's going to stop supporting the BluePy Python library in an upcoming release. And I'm pretty sure that that's what the custom component is currently using. So right. at some point, I'm going to have to swap over to ESP Home directly. Um, I pull all that stuff into Influx, and I have a Grafana dashboard for all of that temperature, humidity. I'm running the uh, Home Assistant supervised on, de- uh, I guess, Raspbian or Raspberry Pi OS 10, so based on Debian Buster. So, so you're still running this all on a Raspberry Pi? Yep. Like even Home Assistant? Yep. Okay, nice. Yeah, and the Home Assistant restarts are usually around a minute or so, so not too That's bad. not bad at all, yeah. Mm-hmm. And not using an SD card, I'm assuming? Nope, it's on a SSD. There was a point okay, nice. a couple of years ago where the Raspberry Pi 4 started to support the SSD boot directly yep. and that's sort of when I jumped over to it from the SSD or from the SD card. Yeah, yeah nice. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I, it's located in a drawer in my basement. Nice. <laughs> it doesn't need much space and much airflow. But then I have all of my radios attached to it via USB. Right. Outside. So I, I def, yep, yeah. But I, I definitely wonder if, you know, moving that to an upper floor or having like a longer USB cable would get me a little bit better Zigbee, C-Wave reception, that kind of thing. Yeah. You could also do something like, um, I think it's USB over Ethernet. Um, mm-hmm. Where you can, you know, plug your cords into a, a USB port on a Raspberry Pi in the kitchen, and then have that, you know, as a serial port over into the Raspberry Pi in the basement. Sure. Um, so yeah, that might be a solution to that. I, I definitely keep that in mind. We have uh, we have coax running through all of our walls as opposed to Ethernet yeah. directly. So I have a bunch of the um, Mocha adapters. Yeah. Um, so could work with that. Could make mm. that work. Um, I haven't haven't thought about it. Honestly, I've just been adding Zigbee routers as needed, and that seems to do the trick. Yeah, definitely. So uh, what are you using to run your automations? Do you, do you prefer the native home assistant, or have you gone down the Node-RED route? I am 99% run Node-RED. Okay, lovely. Interesting. So that. is that running on the same Pi as home assistant, or have you got it running somewhere else? Since since Home Assistant uh, supervised is my deployment method, I've really sort of viewed it as like a, a gateway into sort of into self-hosting some stuff. Yep. Um, so I, I'm using the Node-RED add-on. Um, all of my other stuff like Influx, Grafana, those are all the, the Home Assistant add-on versions. So I have all my Node- my automations in Node-RED. I have a couple automations, native Home Assistant automations for whatever reason. One of them is the sort of the startup shutdown um, just sort of when, whenever I restart, it sends a message and then sends a message when it's started up again, just as a check. I try to do that in Node-RED, but since then it didn't work as well, uh, I guess it's just not tied as tightly to the Home Assistant uh, startup shutdown. Well, I think it also, Node-RED takes a little bit longer to load too, right? So, Yep, yeah. So that's it. Um, we have a Roomba 
and I found a package online in the Home Assistant forums for the bunch of Roomba automations. There's a pretty great uh, maintainer for, yeah, a bunch of Home Assistant stuff for the Roomba. Um, so I use those automations natively. Um, I think that's it for what's in Home Assistant. Otherwise, everything, lights, climate, motion sensors, all that is Node-RED. I just found the visual representation of Node-RED much easier much more accessible. Yeah. Um, when I started writing all of that stuff, that was before Home Assistant had the, the trace automation sort of debugging tools. And I imagine that would have been a lot more helpful. But even so, just having being able to connect the nodes and then set up debug nodes where you can see the actual JSON structure, that was hugely helpful for me figuring that out. Yeah. I mean, if it makes it feel any better, they came out with that, I think, like a week or a week and a half after I switched to Node-RED. And I was like, well... <laughs> All right. Well, I guess my automations are here already. So, but but I agree. It, it is it is actually really nice debugging in uh, in Node Red, where you can like step through it, whatever, and things like that. So yeah, being able to see all parts of the message, yeah, and getting the error messages in the debug log was really helpful. And now, actually, so in my day to day job, I'm a environmental consultant slash business analyst, mm-hmm. and I've actually been getting into Microsoft's. Uh, sort of low-code, no-code automation platform called Power Automate. Okay. It used to be called Flow. And 100% my Node-RED experience was a huge help in getting up and running with Power Automate. Interesting. Just knowing about the message and sort of being able to parse different parts of the message and like the yeah learning about arrays, stuff like that that I just didn't really have exposure to before. Mm-hmm. Parsing the JSON, taking a certain attributes or value, that kind of thing. 100%. I'm using that stuff in my day-to-day job now. And I it was because I started using it in Home Assistant that my company is even looking at it. Yeah, that's amazing. That's very cool. That's nice. It's, it's, it's even a really, like, I guess it's a easier way to learn. Or it's, it's kind of like baby stepping into, into, not necessarily programming, but like logic at least, right? Like, which is nice. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, learning some programming concepts without having to necessarily deal with the syntax of the code mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So something that I was bugging Rohan about last year because he promised me he was going to do it was the ability for uh, Rohan to detect someone, you know, a delivery driver coming to his house. Looking at your original email you sent through, you looked like you did a bit of uh, AI on the edge with ESP32CAM. Um, can you tell us what you were doing with that and, and how that worked? Yeah, so that was, uh, I started looking into that right around the time that Home Assistant started supporting the energy dashboard. Um, mm. I Ended up going with an ESP32 and connected some current transformers. So I've got electricity power monitoring at our breaker box. I managed to set up a, on the, on the Raspberry Pi furnace box, I set up a software-defined radio. I found another Docker container that I could run there to pull in my gas reading. So I didn't have a way to pull in my water meter. So I found this AI on the edge uh, open source project that uses an ESP32 camera to take a picture of the water meter and then process that information to figure out what the actual readings are, what the values are, and then send that over MQTT and you can pull it into Home Assistant. So, And this is all locally? Yep. A cloud. Yeah. That is, That's I nice. mean, my yeah, water, be, water meter's in the basement, so it's just sending it over MQTT over my local Wi-Fi and then yep. pulls it into Influx and Grafana and all that. But I will say it sort of taught me the limitations of uh, computer vision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. because... It was so subject to, I mean, it was in a dark room. So the ESP was flashing an LED to take the picture. And if it, if it didn't happen at the right moment, or there was a little bit of lag between the LED coming on and the camera, it wouldn't get the same light level on the picture. And so training model, or at least based on the trained model that was available in, as part of the AI on the Edge project, there were a lot of bad readings or missed readings. So Ultimately, that wasn't reliable enough for me to pull in my, my water meter data. So that's that's something out there that I want to pull in at some point, but I don't have a good way to do it right now. And I'm not about to kind of open my water line and add a flow meter myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Well, if you if you find a cool way, definitely let us know because that's or let me know at least because that's actually some that's a pain point that I have too. Like where it's because we have to self-report our water uh, usage, and it's like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mine's not too bad. My parents' house, though, it's like behind like a cabinet that's like whatever, right? So if I can just stick a camera there, OCR the text, whatever, um, and just have a display, it's like it's just that much easier. 
So right now what I do is I, cause they estimate every other reading if you don't, uh, if you don't submit it and then they'll go in and check, I think like, I don't know, whatever, like every second reading or whatever, like every reading that they didn't estimate. And it's like, so right now, like one month I may be paying like double and then the next month, uh, not month, sorry, one quarter, I'll maybe paying double and then it might go down for like a third, right? Like whatever, like, so just, it'd be nicer to just pay accurate fees, but it's like, it's hard to see, uh, you know, what uh, what those numbers are like, right? So yeah, and this could totally work on a longer time interval like that. Yeah, I think one of the issues I had was that I was trying to run it. It's on an ESP, so sort of a very limited microcontroller. I was trying to run all of this and do it at an interval of about five minutes, yeah. so that I would have you know that regular reading. Uh, I could see sort of rates of uh, of water yeah. usage as opposed to, you know, on a monthly basis, you just run the command to take a picture a couple of times mm-hmm. at the end of the month or whatever you want. And then you have probably a better chance at getting one good value out of that as opposed to my problem was if it got one wrong, the water rate usage would fluctuate like wildly high or wildly low, up and down all over the place if the numbers did not line up exactly. So yeah. it could work better on a longer time scale. Hard to know. So, so you're... you're- your plan is to do that, do the uh, analytics on, like, again, you're saying edge analytics, right? So, i.e. on the actual ESP itself, rather than take a picture and then home assistant process it. Right. right. Yeah. The, this project specifically was a pre-compiled firmware for the ESP that did all mm-hmm. of this, that had a, a trained machine learning uh, model that was uploaded to the ESP and everything happened. So all the ESP was sending over the, the local LAN was literally just the MQTT message with the value of whatever it was. So <laughs> there was another project that I was going to try where I uh, ran a camera, one of the again, one of the WISE cameras, yeah. and sent that information as an RTSP video feed to Home Assistant. And I was going to try to have it do some object detection in one of our rooms so that I could... Uh, specifically detect like if our cats were in there or, or something along those lines right. but uh quickly ran some of the limitations of my knowledge as well as the abilities of a twenty dollar <laughs> webcam <laughs> yeah um, right. yeah, yeah. it's cat assistant uh, version 0.1 we haven't we haven't really gotten to the production stage yet yeah yeah that uh sort of gets that one question that i was going to bring up for you guys which is that uh, how do you sort of, what sort of decision process do you go through when considering whether to bring a device or a, or maybe even like a protocol into your home assistant instance? Like as an example, it sort of was the, the wise sense, or the, the wise door sense, window sensors that I was replacing. Like they were super cheap and that was great, but they weren't reliable enough. So I spent the 200 bucks in the month of waiting time to order the Akara sensors from AliExpress. But that's a good example of sort of what sort of decision process do you guys go through when you're when you're making your home automation decisions? I think for me, it comes down to how I want to automate it. So, for example, I know uh, Spotify is uh, detected by Home Assistant. I don't activate my Spotify integration because I control the music through my Sonos speakers directly. So I don't want to necessarily expose my Spotify into Home Assistant. I guess that's one protocol. When it comes to, I guess, you know, gadgets and iot things i've always been a fan of z-wave just because i think um you know having the uh, sort of standard way for devices to communicate i knew you know i could just buy really i could buy any brand and i know it would work with other brands uh i reluctantly used zigbee and i'm actually a big fan of zigbee now um once you get, you know, a few repeaters around the house, I think um, there are some quirks here and there. Um, but, you know, you've got cheap stuff like Xiaomi that actually works uh, better than some of the more expensive stuff. I think that's a no-brainer. Um, but, yeah, anything, any new device, I think it just comes down to, one, does it integrate with Home Assistant? If it doesn't integrate with Home Assistant, then it's of sort course. of a, a yeah. no-starter for me, right? Um, yeah. If it's cloud-dependent, uh, you'd have to it'd have to be a very compelling product for me to do it. Um, or if it is cloud dependent, then as soon as something that's non-cloud dependent comes along, I'm going to replace it with that. So uh, it would have to be cheap enough to justify, you know, needing to be locked into a cloud. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it just comes down to what functionality I'm going to be able to unlock by adding it to Home Assistant. If it's just a device that, you know, is a smart device, um, but can't be really controlled with Home Assistant, then, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'll, I wouldn't go with that. Um, cause yeah, it just, I want, if I'm going to have a device in home assistant, then I need to be able to 
justify what I can automate with it. Mm. Sure. So you want to be able to you want to be able to do actions with it as opposed to just like read sensor data. Yeah, exactly. Um, unless it is just a sensor, right? Like if it's a power, you know, an energy monitoring system, then absolutely that's fine. But you know, if it's something that you know, there's nothing worse than a smart device coming on and then you can't like you know do basic things like turn it on or turn it off right remotely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Rohan, what's your little decision process? Yeah, I mean, not too different from from what you said, Phil. I know it's, you and I have talked about this you know across multiple episodes and and even offline just in terms of how we how we do this but it's fairly similar i mean in the sense that you know first and foremost it has to integrate with home assistant ideally locally ideally natively i.e not an external component whatever Mm -hmm. but sometimes it's it's also dependent on what's possible right so i think a few episodes ago i mentioned you know i'm just sick and tired of my door lock. It was a uh, Wiser Kivo in, uh, in the US. I believe it's branded as Quickset rather than Wiser. Um, mm-hmm. Same company, same exact same device, just different engraving. Um, so I think one of the big things there was, um, unfortunately, they are one of the only people that make a bore size for my uh, for the for my door lock for my uh, mm-hmm. bolt there. So they're the, one of the only people that make a size that has a smart device that actually fits my door. Um, and you know, I contemplated for the longest time, do I replace my door? And I'm like, is it worth spending, you know, a couple thousand dollars just because I want to get this in home <laughs> assistant? Like the wife wouldn't really like that too much. So I was like, all right, maybe, maybe let's not do that. And so unfortunately I did have to pick one, um, from Wiser as much as of a bad experience as I had with the Kivo, but really it came down to, they have a custom component for the, for the platform, which again, I didn't love, but fine it'll work and it's cloud connected again don't love it but unfortunately those those are the restrictions i have with unless i want to spend you know a couple thousand dollars on a new door other than that um pretty much if i can if i can do it locally i'd love to do it locally i actually even got a uh i don't have any devices for it but i actually have a zoos 700 series z-wave stick now um i'm i'm pretty much fully zigbee today um and or uh you know ethernet whether it's wi-fi or wired in whatever but other than that, yeah, like it's it's pretty much all um, the decision processes can it fit into Home Assistant, and if it can't, then is it, then what's the point of me getting something smart? Um, I might as well mm-hmm. spend you know half or quarter because you're you're sometimes paying that smart tax, right? Of oh, it has a label of you know connected or smart or IoT whatever. So it's like okay, here it's double, triple the price, right? And and sometimes the devices are great, sometimes they're terrible. So if I'm going to pay that much, I want it to be, I want to make sure it's going to be local. I want to do, you know, at least as much as I can. Yeah. Hey everyone. I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy Video Lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy Video Lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. As I am adding things or replacing things, that's certainly what you guys summarized mm-hmm. there was is sort of the direction that I, I try to go as much as possible. I had some of those TV link switches that I've been slowly phasing out, even though you can just, I've just blocked them from the internet. So they work perfectly fine yeah. locally. So if I, if I need Same. like a couple extra switches, I have them. Um, but at some point I also try to, uh, Rohan, you mentioned custom components and trying not to rely on those yeah. if possible. And I totally agree with that. I also have tried to, as I expand devices, keep them within some of the existing home assistant integrations that I'm already using. So yeah. you don't have, it sort of simplifies the uh, system a, that one tiny step more, which it, it may not make much difference, but uh, since it's at all home assistant native, but it's some, it's sort of the, the goal. If it can be local home assistant native, just like you said, Robert, yeah. that's uh, checks all the boxes. Do you have any 
smart devices that aren't connected to Home Assistant? Uh, yeah, we have a bunch of Nest cameras. Um, and there, Google Nest, we had those from our old house and we sort of lean into those. And those, I think, biggest argument for those was ease of use and both in terms of deploying the hardware and in terms of the day-to-day management and access to them. Like the app is pretty decent, um, at least until if Google ever deactivates the Nest app directly, then I would probably think about replacing them all. But that's, I mean, they're relatively inexpensive. But that's the risk with Google, right? Yeah. Everything's always beta. It is. (laughs) Mm. Do you have plans to keep expanding your Nest video cameras or would you rather phase them out to something that would be more locally controlled and something you've got sort of more management over? I I would love to have uh, cameras that are just PoE cameras all tied into some local NVR system. But one, we don't have Ethernet running through our house, so that would be something I'd have to do. Um, And then just managing that I'm sure it would be doable once it was up and running, but there's a decent process to getting that up and running, like getting all the software running, whether it's a, like a dedicated NVR system that has its own storage or whether you're building it in something that is just a, you know running in a virtual machine somewhere and having the hardware for that. At this point, I think it was ease of use for the and sort of reliability, obviously sort of ironic considering it's cloud-based, um, but yeah. It was just going to be too much work to for me to, to get something figured out that was like local, totally local. Yeah. So as something that I, I asked myself, because we just bought another camera like last summer, I think, to sort of improve our coverage in one particular area. And I was thinking, oh, do we really want to do this? But I think the, the one-time friction of shifting over to something totally local like that is just too much at this point for me anyways. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. Even, even just cost alone is sometimes just a pain, right? So. The other thing I was going to suggest is also if you're looking at, um, again, PoE cameras and you want to go that direction if you don't have the Ethernet there yet. But uh, again, just from a simply from a box by box kind of replacement, assuming you can find something that kind of gives you the same coverage, if not better coverage than the than the Nest cams you use today, which are plugged in. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get cameras that do run on Wi-Fi that also have a PoE power in. So you can just use a PoE power injector for now, right? Where it's kind of plugged in locally right next to the camera or wherever wherever your your um, Nest plugs into today, right? So it's just like mm-hmm. a swap, right? So you take out that camera, put in this camera, instead of using a power cord, you just use a PoE injector. Um, mm-hmm. And then tomorrow when you run um, Ethernet through the house or, or at least to these to these locations, then it's mm-hmm. just a matter of just swap it out and off you go. It's, it's an extra component, a little bit of an extra step, but it might be a good stopgap for you too. Sure. Something that could be on Wi-Fi now, but Ethernet later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, that's something to think about. Uh, I don't have any other smart devices that aren't tied into Home Assistant, but I do have one other major system that isn't tied into Home Assistant that I would like to, um, and I'm certainly open to some suggestions here, but... We have uh, an energy recovery ventilator, so fresh air system tied into our furnace that, uh, yeah, it basically pulls in fresh air from the outside, exchanges heat to mm-hmm. minimize energy loss costs, and then uh, that fresh air just gets circulated by our furnace system. And it came with a controller that does do some amount of, uh, it, it regulates the cycle to some amount intelligently because it reads the temperature and the humidity of the incoming airstream. And then it sort of sets between different presets on the, on the fan based on the temperature inside versus the temperature outside, humidity inside versus humidity outside. Hmm. And I'm okay with it regulating that because I don't wanna, I don't wanna have to define all of that node red. But what I would like to be able to do is just toggle it on and off so that if we open a bunch of windows and doors, because it's really nice out, we want that airflow. It just is smart enough to turn itself off. And I haven't figured out a way to do that yet. How is the power control today on the on that uh, thing? It's uh, it's plugged into a regular outlet, um, but the control panel is separate. And if the device loses power, it, it doesn't return to the same state when it comes back on. You have to manually push a button on the control panel to turn it back to whatever state. Hmm. I wonder if... Again, because I know absolutely nothing about this, I wonder if you can just stick a relay somewhere in the uh, between the control panel and the device itself, just to mm-hmm. effectively block the <laughs> block the communication of it, right? Like just uh, sure. So the control panel thinks it's telling the device to do something, but the device isn't actually doing that. Yeah, and 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 again, total disclaimer: I know absolutely nothing about this. So 
you know, if it blows up your system, my bad. (laughs) Like, (laughs) right. But uh, I think, you know, that might be, but, but, uh, and, and, you know, for, for the listeners, I encourage you to, if, if this is something you know something about, feel free to shoot us a note and we'll connect you with care. Sorry, Phil. Yeah. Feedback at haspodcast.io. We'll pass it on. Um, Kate, what about, uh, what's what sort of button is it on there? Because have you heard of uh, SwitchBot, like the little, little mm. robots that can just you know push a little arm down and press yep. a button? Yeah, um, that uh, that has been one thing that I considered. It's uh, it's there's one button that you press a number of times to cycle through the different modes or to turn it on and off. Uh, right. So that the SwitchBot could totally work. Just have a routine set up where if there are a number of windows and doors open, the SwitchBot pushes a button five times to turn it off yeah. or turn it on or whatever you might you might want right. some kind of feedback mechanism there too right so where mm-hmm. where whether it's switchbot or something like that because you know you don't know if somebody walks by it and goes presses a button right and then now yeah. everything is off by one <laughs> so yeah right. it needs to be yeah. two ways. yeah yeah my best idea for the feedback portion was to have a camera yeah 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 exactly yes <laughs> ESP camera and this is back when i was doing the ai on the edge water meter stuff esp camera and then do like a image recognition not a full machine learning model but just sort of image classifier because there's only you know five or six different settings and if you could recognize which setting it's on and then just expose that as a home assistant information then you'd be able to know how many times to press the button yeah i mean the the other thing too is like like i said with the relay instead of doing it between the sensor or whatever just do it behind the button right like so we had um XBMC nut who came on uh, quite a while ago, quite a few episodes ago, talking about the uh, Breville um, coffee machine automation, right? And uh, and and it's funny. So just I have one of those machines, and I've seen a lot of stuff where same thing. People stick a switch bot on top of it, and it basically presses the on button or I guess off button, the same button, right? So like on off whatever. Uh, the other thing, I mean, what he did was he basically opened it up, went behind it, and then simulated the button push with uh, with a relay. So sure. that might be an sure. option. Yeah, that'd be something I could probably attempt in ESP Home. Yeah, ESP Home is one of the one of my favorite home assistant time yeah. projects. All of, all of my temperature sensors are ESP Home devices. I have a couple LED strips. One of the one of the smallest but most impactful projects that I've done. Our bed has drawers. Mm-hmm. Um, underneath the underneath the mattress, but there's not great lighting, and there's a really convenient ledge right above the drawer. So I have a LED strip running all the way around, nice. and then uh, segments built in ESP Home, so that when you open one drawer, right now there's a, a wide oh, sensor, yeah, yeah that uh, that tells it to turn on that light segment, and that is actually really nice. It's that's awesome. I never thought of doing it that way. That's really cool. Yeah, long time. Uh, Mid to long term, I think my goal will be to replace those Y sensors with uh, direct wired sensors to an ESP32, um, add some more LEDs to it, that kind of thing. But that is definitely one of the, the nicest things I've done with ESP Home. That's cool. Um, What's the most craziest thing you've done with ESP Home? <laughs> that's an easy one. Uh, so we have two cats and we don't keep them in the bedroom at night, but they want to get into the bedroom. So our solution right now is we have got one of these electric mats where you turn it on and then if you step on it there's a like a small shock and that deters the cats pretty well but we <laughs> so, have hang on, hang on. so you're electrically <laughs> so you're electrocuting your cats to keep <laughs> no, them no, out no, of your no. bed <laughs> no 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 not at all it's yeah it's really minor it's like static electricity yeah right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, when peter comes calling we'll send them your way no. <laughs> yeah <laughs> So that's our solution right now, but we have to step over that. And so I thought maybe we could set up something with a water bottle. And I'd seen a couple ESP on projects where they repurposed a um, air freshener or they oh. tied ESP home into an air freshener. Yeah. So what mm-hmm. I did was I bought an uh, electric spray bottle, something that is sort of intended for gardening where you push a button and it just runs a pump yeah. and, and waters. And I tore that apart. Tied in a ESP8266, and I built a sort of a rectangular box that had motion sensors on two of the faces and a um, a motor that <laughs> changed the spray nozzle from facing. It pivoted the spray nozzle from one face to the other. So there are two motion sensors, and if one motion sensor detected motion, the electric spray nozzle would pivot that way and and turn on the pump so it sprayed water. <laughs> And then it, uh, yeah, and then if it motion on the other side, it would go back. 
And so <laughs> that's actually pretty funny. That, that, there was an outlet right, right next to where it needed to sit. So it was really easy to power it. And it was sitting literally right outside our bedroom door. <laughs> and if a cat got too close, it would pivot, spray <laughs> the cat and pivot back. But ultimately uh, either my implementation was not sophisticated enough or it was sort of a flawed concept because it, most of the time we just wake up and the carpet was soaked and the cats were like sitting just outside of their range. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a fun project to build, learn about like stepper motors and that kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, not something that I kept in production for very long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I bet. Nice soggy carpets. Yeah. I have another ESP home project that, needs to be rebuilt. Uh, my soldering skills aren't necessarily good enough to support it, but I tried to set it up. It's just a, there's a module called a, a DF player, which is basically just, uh, you can put an SD card into it and it plays audio files mm-hmm. and you can connect speakers and everything. So I bought some little three watt speakers and connected it to it. And I sort of built it on the small little box and I built one hall sensor or one door window sensor to it and set it up so that if the door window sensor was triggered, it would play Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up and, and Rick Roll, whoever I had just triggered the sensor. <laughs> so my, <laughs> my plan was to like, set it up as a prank device in my, my parents' or my brother's home or something. But uh, And I went so far as to actually try to, to set it up, but when I was laying out the sensor, my soldering was so shoddy that it just sort of <laughs> detached inside the ESP. That's uh, one of my projects. That's fine. So you're using ESP Home to Rick Roll people in your life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Interesting. Did, did you did you catch the Let's Get Loud event uh, from that Home Assistant put on? Uh, Paulus was hosting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That uh, that speaker looked really cool. The ESP mm-hmm. speaker. Well, mm-hmm. I was going to say there might be some really cool things that you can leverage from that project to uh, to do this, right? For sure, that speaker right there. You could probably figure out some way to do sort of a, a remote sensor setup, and then you've got your Rickroll box already to go. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So. We'll we'll leave a link to the event uh, and the show notes for those who missed it. But. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely want to take a look at some exciting stuff happening. Um, so one thing I am toying with at the moment is my Lovelace dashboard. And it sounds like you have gone a little bit crazy maybe with, you know, you've done a mobile Lovelace dashboard. Like, yeah. how did you go? Like, what, what was the purpose of it? Just for your, your phone or have you got like phones around the house that you wanted to do a special Lovelace dashboard for? I, I don't have any tablets or any phones set up right now. There is a place and a, where I'd love to put one right next to our thermostat with exposed all the home assistant information. Um, but no, I created a custom Lovelace dashboard for my phone just because I found the, so the, the default Lovelace approach where it sort of dumps a bunch of entities into the, you know, a big area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I use custom button card quite a bit. Um, Actually, almost all of the entities on there are custom button card entities. And then I sort of came up with a format that I applied to all of my rooms. So, um, and I can share some some screenshots for the for the show notes. Um, yeah, that'd be great. I just sort of, I came up with a format where I can have up to eight entities in a room and then two rows of those entities. And it works well on my home screen that includes about all the entities I need for any room where I have temperature and humidity sensors, window sensors, and then a couple lights. And so I can use that for sort of that same template for all of my rooms. It just makes it easy to scroll through and you get a quick snapshot of what each of the rooms sort of status is, temperature, humidity, if any windows are open, lights are on. It's really, really nice for sort of showing that information at a quick glance. And then also some indoor outdoor air quality that uh that's nice yeah it's interesting because i've always i've always struggled to you know how you can group information like nicely for rooms like i generally do um you know the buttons in the top header would be a room um and then you sort of yeah you just get like so much information you've got a whole bunch of screen real estate to take up um Mm -hmm. but yeah on a mobile device you don't have all that room to use so having something like where you've got, you know, like those eight buttons that I can see here just for one room and then you've got multiple rooms on the one page, not having to change tabs all the time. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's helpful in terms of actuating the buttons, so to speak, or accessing the buttons on a mobile device. Yeah. But the flip side is that if you have a room where it uh, where you need more or fewer entities, then, I mean, it, it's pretty easy to set up a, a blank card with the custom button card so it sort of fills in the blanks. Um, 
But if you have more entities than eight that you want in a particular room, then it ends up getting a little busy. It's also sort of limiting in that if you have something that doesn't easily fit that uh, that design, then it just doesn't look as nice. You have sort of a bunch of stuff slammed in at the bottom or the top or whatever. But yeah, so I, I use that exclusively on my phone. It's just, I find it easier. One downside is that if you want to make changes to it, because it's all custom button cards and there's a fair amount of YAML code there, uh, Mm-hmm. You pretty much need to do it from a computer. It's hard to do that from make changes from your phone. One of the things I was playing with is to do something something similar where I was using uh, Lovelace Mushroom for a, mm-hmm. a again for a uh, mobile UI, which mm-hmm. was nice. Though, but I, I do like yours because you've just got a bunch of stuff in like one single like little panel, right? Um, whereas you can do that with Lovelace Mushroom too. It's just it's a little bit like I. I <laughs> I realized as I was doing it, I'm like, ooh, I want a little more detail here. Ooh, I want this, I want that. And then now my panel just started expanding, expanding, expanding. So I really like what you have. And 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 for the listeners, we'll we'll post screenshots uh, here if you could send those over whenever. Um, yep. We'll put screenshots of it because I, I do really like that. But like the in in Lovelace Mushroom, it's a little more like bubbly rather than um, mm-hmm. you know whatever, right? So apparently, according to this, I'm home, which is not true. So that's not good. But uh, <laughs> hopefully your security system's not decided. Yeah, oops. Um, yeah, so, but uh, yeah, like the, it, that might be from from a config perspective. I know what you mean, though, because my main my main Lovelace uh, dashboard is all YAML-based, right? So it's all, you've got to do it on, uh, on, a, on a computer somewhere, but you can't just uh, easily do it. But that, yeah, having, or I, I primarily access on the system from my phone. I, yeah. I sometimes access it like while I'm working from home, just have it up on a screen, but uh, not being able to edit node red automations very easily from the phone is sort of my, one of my main complaints yeah. with node red main yeah. drawbacks. I, I actually look to see at some point if I can find like a mobile app for node red. No, it's just, don't do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I the pretty much the extent of it is if I need to like deactivate a note, I can do that, mm-hmm. but sh- I can't can't do anything else. Yeah, so that's one uh, one argument for native automations. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, particularly getting BM real to just like with the new automation builder in the UI. Just if you yeah. need like a quick automation idea, you can quickly, you know, even do it like a prototype without all the conditions and all the logic. You, know, you can just do a very basic automation and then export it to YAML and build it out later which is what i tend to do but the the other the other argument there too is like i don't know at least for me typically like my process involves like i don't know i guess i'm not the smartest person so it takes me a little longer so it's it's a little more involved where i'm like okay i gotta sit down i gotta focus on this i gotta and like so it's not like i'm 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 never like in bed being like oh i mean i am in bed being like oh that'd be a cool automation but i'm never in bed being like okay let me try and do this on my phone like like it's just Mm. ui wise it's just it's just not not even ui wise sorry like screen real estate wise i I just don't have enough to you know at least document my idea of like okay what am i trying to do like break it down into steps whatever but so i mean it's i've thought about it a lot but even even when i was using uh pre node red i was never really was like Oh, I should do this on my phone, right? Yeah, I have uh, I have a couple other questions that I wrote down too for you guys, just to, to pick your brains. Yeah, go for it. Uh, easy one. Anything that you have sort of had on your list to automate or implement that for a while that you just haven't been able to get to lately? I mean, if you ask Phil, I have a whole list of that. He makes fun of me every episode <laughs> for it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think for me, my like all of my core stuff is there. Um, it's just stuff that's like, would be like a, oh, here's a little embellishment and, and that kind of thing. And just like side project, which is more just for me to learn. Like, like any, I know Phil was rags on me all the time for this, but like the whole like, uh, automation that I wanted to do based on like cameras to look for like, oh, UPS is here or FedEx is here or something like that. Right. And, and in all honesty, that's more just for me to learn, uh, and understand like, um, image manipulation, image classification, like that kind of stuff, right? More mm-hmm. TensorFlow-y kind of stuff, um, machine learning-y kind of stuff, but not machine learning, but sure. um, image classification, let's call it that. Um, but yeah, so other than that, I think for the most part, I'm at a pretty good stage. Um, I do want to get more like energy stuff in. Um, mm-hmm. I know a while ago, one of our listeners actually was super kind and, and sent me uh a sense kit that uh, that he wasn't using, and then so I said, okay, you know, I got to get that integrated, but I don't have enough uh, panels on my uh, breaker uh, box, so I got. I'm waiting for my electrician to 
free up a little bit so that he can come in and move some stuff around, whatever, and then so that way I can do it. So other than that, I'm pretty pretty happy with where I'm at, Phil. So I moved house at the start of the year. Um, so I've sort of gone back to zero um, with, yeah, I, I did a complete re- refresh. Um, so even getting, like, my house is not automated to where I was previously in my old rental. So I have a, a lot to do. But the main objective I want to get done uh, sooner rather than later is just lights. I've got a whole bunch of, um, I've got a couple of Z-Wave dimmer modules that I'm looking to get installed in the walls. I've got a couple of um, push button switches that I want to replace everything with. I think um, I've got, a whole bunch of curtains that I or blinds that I've motorized um, with some uh, Zemi Smart Zigbee uh, mind blo- uh, blind motors, so they're uh, working nicely. Uh, getting beyond that, though, um, where, where would I want to go? I think I want to um, be able to get into irrigation control. I think that mm. is probably the next frontier. I haven't tackled yeah. anything like that yet. Um, and we don't have any irrigation in this house, so it'll be a complete uh, project, you know, from the ground up. So I'm pretty excited to get onto that. Yeah, that would be that would be great. It's summer here in Minnesota, and so we're out watering the lawns and having something that I could tie in the home assistant and say, water this lawn more yep. than the others, or just water it at all would be huge. Exactly right. And then you can tie it in with, you know, has it rained recently? You know, does it mm-hmm. need, you know, what's the moisture level like? Yeah, so much yeah, more powerful stuff you can do. Yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah, that's a, that's a good one for me too. I, I do want to do that, but I've just started to get my grass back now, for at least for outside, right? So <laughs> once that's in, maybe I'll consider digging up my grass again. It's also the problem of um, do you trust your automation? Like some, my wife would say, oh, um, you know, like the smart home is great, but it's so buggy. And I'm like, well, that's probably because I just, you know, yeah, I haven't done it properly the first time, you know, it's just sure. iterative process. The last thing you want to do is just get your grass back and then accidentally flood it and <laughs> yeah. back to square one, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Is there anything that you have wanted to be able to automate that you either haven't been able to or you couldn't do to like, technical reasons whatever anything like that for me right now it's the uh the erv figuring that out i guess i would want to automate everything that i could right like yeah closing doors i would love the ability to automate closing doors so just yeah i think sliding doors swinging doors just yeah being able to automate the closure of those just so that you know some people that i live with don't like to leave the doors open and then in summer you know flies get in the house and you know constantly you know just having to spray them or find them dead in a corner somewhere in a couple of months time um so having the ability to yeah like have automated opening and closing of doors would be amazing i think it's very expensive to do um and Mm -hmm. i yeah i don't think it would very like it's not going to suit well in a residential house right um that would be my thing that i would probably never be able to automate Rohan, what about you i think for me Again, I mentioned my my door. I think that would be kind of it'd be nice if again I do have it in in home assistant whatever. Um, I think I'd love for that to be local. So I, it's not that I haven't automated it. It's just not as ideal as I want it to be. The other thing is our back sliding door as well uh, from a lock perspective because it's got one of those uh, latches. Yep. Right? I don't I don't know what they're called, but like the little like lever latches thing where it, like. Yeah, up is same. like unlocked down as lock or whatever and uh I don't, I don't know of a good way to automate that right like uh you know what i was um thinking of doing for mine um i don't know about yours but so when it's locked you get that little um thing that pops out and like bolts it to the yeah, wall right? yeah like, yeah so it get hooks on the, the, wall, the latch right? part yeah um yeah yeah so that's just metal so i'm thinking of um unscrewing where it latches into and putting um, a wire with a um, a Xiaomi door sensor so that when the lock is in place, it'll complete the circuit and the door sensor will say, okay, the lock is locked. At least in that way, in home assistant, you know, all right, has the latch been pulled down and the door is locked. Um, It's not automated, but at least it's a peace of mind, a way for you to know when you're leaving the house that, hey, we've actually locked that door. Because I've come home and I've realized, oh, the sliding door is closed, but it's not actually locked, right? So someone could just walk around the back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. That also seems like way too much work. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But that's probably the cheapest (laughs) thing I can think of. Yeah. Um, I've also, I've heard of, and I don't know if it's a thing or if it was a, a prototype, but something called patio bolts that are automated. So they're little um, bolts that you put on a sliding door and they um, lock down into the floor. 
And I think there might be a company out there that might make automated versions. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen those. Yeah. Um, I think my yeah my parents' house has one of those. It's 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 yeah. It's to essentially lock the door down. So because like, a lot of people like for us in our house, we just have a piece of wood that we put behind the uh, door so that nobody can open it and so on and so forth. Right. Even if they do somehow leave the mm. latch to get past the latch or whatever yeah interesting yeah i've thought about we have the same situation we have one of those bolts that locks it in place vertically mm. uh, when the door is closed or if it's open like a couple inches mm. but in terms of the other lock and when we had these installed you know I, I asked the contractor and they're like you know the latch is really the the main lock the the vertical bolt yeah. at the bottom is sort of a i don't know extra secondary. yeah yeah, yeah. So, so i've thought about <laughs> whether it would even work because our latch has a little lever that sort of ticks back and forth like between uh i don't know like two o'clock and 12 o'clock on a or two o'clock and 10 o'clock mm-hmm. on a on an analog clock so i thought could i place a door window sensor precisely enough so that when it was locked it would the door would be closed but if it was unlocked the door window sensor would be open right but that right. would uh would certainly not be very aesthetically pre- pleasing yeah right mm-hmm. on the on the latch itself so and also like the accuracy of that would depend on the battery level of the door window sensor too right like true yeah um yeah get tricky yeah something hardwired with uh like an esp nearby into the actual latch mechanism would be great but i agree rohan it seems like a fair amount of work and i don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't have a great idea how i'd be able to pull that out yeah without damaging something that's that's the biggest thing for me right it's Mm. yeah Right. I've even looked into like just sliding door, like smart locks, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think there are some out there, but then you, you're looking at potentially having to replace your whole door or they um, they look like some dodgy Chinese company that you just, you don't want to trust. They're not, you know, standards are not Zigbee, not Z-Wave. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. There's, I, I actually think it could potentially be like a, just a market that's right for the taking, right? Because it seems everyone's concentrating on, you know, the, the deadlocks and the, the standard front door locks, but no one's really doing these, you know, sliding mm-hmm. doors or you no know, barn doors or patio doors. That are, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, I mean, if it's a entire mechanism, like handle and all, right. Cause I think you mm-hmm. have a lot more room to play with there. So that might be yeah. a cool way to do this. Am I, am I going to invent a product that does this? No, but if somebody wants to do it and send me one, that'd be great. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. I also pictured, the I think it's the August lock that had sort of went over the deadbolt that yeah. actuated the deadbolt on on normal locks. You know, like a miniature version of something like that that actuated the just the latch back and forth yeah. on a on a patio door. That would be again maybe not the most aesthetically pleasing, but something that you could bolt onto an existing installation that might work okay. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Again, if anybody has a better answer than what the three of us came up with, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> Yeah, definitely interested in some answers there. So my last question that I had was another softball. Uh, I know for me, price is usually a pretty major consideration. That's why I started with those wise sensors that I'm finally now replacing. But uh, with price as no object, would you do things differently? Or is there any one thing in particular that price has uh, prevented you from from pursuing for automation? For me, smart cellular shades would be huge. They're pretty expensive. I think I think for me, what it would be is for like door sensors and stuff like that. I'd love to have those wired in, um, oh, yeah. just because I I just despise changing batteries, <laughs> um, unless um and and it's just really wasteful, right? You're just chucking all these batteries in the garbage or you know even proper battery disposable, whatever. Like it's not. I don't know, is it the most environmentally responsible thing? No, right? So I'd love to have those wired and that way they're i know there's companies that do this now like aotech and stuff have like the recessed sensors and stuff like that i think it'd just be more pleasing to like aesthetically uh to have that so i think i think for me that would be one of my things and then you know those could just go off onto like uh i don't know back into a relay box somewhere right where i just have a bunch of things that just switch on off whatever and can deliver Mm -hmm. the state back to home assistant but yeah i think i think that's what it would be um, for me, if I had money to re uh, rebuild all this stuff, right? And that way it's like, it never expires. It's not cloud connected. It's all still local. You don't have to worry about batteries. You don't have to worry about batteries. If I forget to change it for like two years, I don't have to worry about the battery leaking in there, um, all that kind of stuff. So not that that's happened to before, but it's not impossible, right? Mm-hmm. Could you just sign up to like one of those home security systems where they come and do like an install, put the wires in, and then... 
you know, keep it for like the contract period, you know, whatever it's like two years or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, after two years, get rid of them and put in one of those open, I think there's uh, some open yeah, source yeah. Um, controllers, right? And then you can just use there because they're not going to come and pull the wires out of your wall, right? Too expensive for them. No. Um, I think I think a lot of the ones here use uh, Zigbee nowadays. Yeah, gotcha. And they've got like a chunky sensors, just just like I do today, um, right? It's not it's no different. Yeah, but, well, that's it, right? Um, but yeah, I, I don't I don't know if they run that kind of wiring anymore. Um, a lot of houses are wired with it. Interesting. I think mm. mine somewhere has it. Like some some doors and some windows have it, but I couldn't tell you where those wires go. So like yeah. you have one side of the wire at the door or at the window, and then. Where's the other side? So, no one knows. <laughs> so, if money was no object. So, this is interesting because I don't know. Like, so there's, if you, obviously, if you were to do, like, the smart home properly, you would go with, like, some expensive system that does it all right. Like, it's got the fully integrated thing. I don't know if I necessarily want that, though, because I, right. then I lose control. Right. Um, uh, so yeah, like I'm thinking like at the big control four, like it's control four, you know, one of those you know, big brands um, uh, that the expensive homes use, right? And just have, not having the ability to have an API access into it, or it to be, you know, all proprietary that it's locked down. Um, I, I don't like the sound of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess if money was not, I still wouldn't use one of those big systems. I'd rather have the control myself. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I, I've thought about that too. Having the ability to, I mean, it's sort of a, a double-edged sword, having the ability to find something that somebody put out on GitHub online that yep. fixes a problem that you have is pretty great. But then two years down the road, if they stop maintaining it, <laughs> and there that's it, right? that you can't use it anymore, then it's kind of too bad. But uh, yeah, I agree. Not being able to pull that stuff in would be not as much fun. I think if money was no object, what I would do is I would just I'd design the system or I, you know, I just say, here is my ideas. Here's the stuff I want to do. You go do it. Install them, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then I will do the automations in Home Assistant myself yeah, yeah. and everything's installed. Yeah. Sure. So somebody else does the hardware and you do the software. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I've chosen the hardware. I don't want anyone coming in and saying, oh, no, you should really use this, right? No, 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 no. Mm. I'm telling you what I'm using. Yeah. Because right? sure. that's half, you know, online shopping and browsing, you know, and, you know, fantasizing, oh, yeah, that, that product looks good. You know, that's half the fun too, right? Um, it's just, True. yeah, then during having the management of, you know, having to install it, drill things in and soldering and, and all that, like, yeah, it, it, it's fun. The first one's fun when you have to do it, you know, like seven times <laughs> on the seventh door or something like that, then, you know, okay, I'm over it. Yeah. Now, right? And and you guys are all concrete there, aren't you, Phil? Or are you? Yeah, I'm on a concrete slab at this house, yeah. so there's no going underneath the house. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's funny. I've also thought about like you're saying going underneath the house. It it's, makes me think of it like, so I've always, cause I have a, we have an attic, right? Like, so it's just, you know, unused space uh, between the roof and the, mm. and the ceiling. I've also thought of just using that as my, like throw cables out, throw whatever. And then, and then, and then use that as a central point of like connecting things. And then I was just like, uh, Am I actually going to do that though? So maybe maybe that's another. You're going to go up in the roof? No, no, no. no. Yeah, I'm like in the roof, like that. I mean, I mean, I've I've been up there before, but it's just it's not like I just don't like doing it. Especially, I don't know if you can if you notice right now, I'm already stuffy a little bit. That's just from my allergies <laughs> from like standing outside for half an hour, right? And then, but in uh, in uh, over there, it's not. I'm not going to fare too well either. So yeah, I thought about going up there for running Ethernet, that kind of thing. Yeah. I would also love to, uh, one thing that it's sort of a, I don't know, semi-long-term project is some sort of permanent LED installation on the outside of the house. Yeah. So instead of having mm. to string up the holiday lights every every year. Um, yeah. I, I just tell my wife this year, I think this is going to be the last year I'm doing these because we have one side of the house where there's no gutter and it's about, I don't know, it's two-story drop straight down. And when I'm putting the lights on that side of the house, yeah. it's a little bit disconcerting. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, no. So having something permanent that was up there that we could just sort of turn on or off and it isn't obviously on the outside of the house would be cool. Mm-hmm. Mm. We got just this summer, we, I, I got picked up one of those Tempest weather stations and I wanted to put that on top of the roof. So I was up there nice. uh, drilling holes in my roof, <laughs> sealing them with some sort of sealant and crossing my fingers that when it rained, it wasn't going to come through. <laughs> That's funny. So yeah, you just hear the rain coming and you're like looking up your roof nervously. Uh, yeah. No. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's funny. I think for the LED things, I think I think those can look so elegant too. Like I think it was uh, it was mm-hmm. Carlo like years ago when we had him on the show. I think uh, and then after that, him and I were just chatting about it. And uh, you know, he's he's got that he's got that done, and and it looks so nice, right? And I've, I've, that that's been one of those things where I'm like, okay, that'd be kind of really cool to do too. So um, and there's a few few videos on. I think Doctor Z's. Uh, has a video on it too yeah it, it's just it just looks really nice um i think but yeah agree and when you have it all set up and you can just sort of change it for the holiday mm-hmm. from you know the comfort of your home or from a mobile app or something yeah i think that's that's pretty slick yeah one of my esp homes it's uh it's really just a temperature sensor but then it's communicating to a raspberry pi zero uh, which is running hyperion so i have uh bias lighting on the back of one of our tvs oh nice and I managed to, I was going to try to connect the LEDs directly to the ESP, but I discovered that there's a wireless protocol that you can run from, or that you can contact Hyperion with, that ESP home spurts, the, uh, I don't know, E31 or something like that. Right. But it, it pretty much sends the commands to Hyperion over my local LAN, so that way it's not directly connected to the LED strip. But, uh, but it can tell it what to do. So right, right, right. That was one of my other ESP home projects. It's just, yeah, can do so much stuff with that. That's interesting. That's cool. Cool. All right. Well, Kia, thank you so much for uh, coming on, taking your time, chatting home assistant with us. We uh, really appreciate it. Love talking about all your stuff. We'll leave links in the show notes to all your cool stuff that you're doing. Um, I'll try and um, find the links to all those projects you're using as well um, and the screenshots of your Lovelace as well. And if anyone has answers to any of the questions we've uh, asked ourselves along today, yeah, reach out to us. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Thanks, If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.